Ahoy matey! Take two of WrestleMania Pirate Ship is finally here, and with the Showcase of the Immortals and NXT Stand and Deliver coming to us this week, I am bringing you the biggest prediction episode ever. So strap in, you swashbuckling jabronis. It is time for a WrestleMania-sized episode of the Closet Champion Podcast. Hello, scallywags and fair maidens, and welcome to the Closet Champion Podcast. I am your host, the reigning, rarely defending, highly disputed champion of wrestling podcasts, Mike Mueller. Now don't worry, I will not be doing the pirate theme throughout this episode, but I felt it was important to take note of. Since 2014, the theme of WrestleMania has been heavily influenced by the area of the stadium that the event is happening in. We saw a theme park motif when WrestleMania was in Orlando, a Mardi Gras theme when it was in New Orleans, the Cowboys star for when it took place in Dallas, and now a pirate theme for Tampa Bay, because this is, of course, happening in Raymond James Stadium, home of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, if you're a wrestling fan, none of this is new information to you, but I do feel the need to point it out because it feels very symbolic. This time a year ago, we were all adjusting to a completely new way of life. A pandemic was spreading, and every business in the world had to figure out how to adapt. Some thrived under these new circumstances, and some crumbled. And despite not having an audience for their biggest show of the year, WWE forged on and had WrestleMania happen in an empty performance center. And even though it was only a year ago... I remember almost nothing about that event. It's like I blocked it out of my brain. All I remember is the Boneyard match, Drew McIntyre won the title, and Kevin Owens jumped off of the WrestleMania logo because he couldn't jump off the pirate ship in the stadium. And while a lot has happened in the past year, it also kind of feels like nothing has happened. It's almost as if we've just been on pause for this whole year, and now we're finally pushing play, and we're getting the WrestleMania at Raymond James Stadium in front of people like we thought we were going to have in 2020, except now it's 2021. The more things change, the more they stay the same. But we mustn't dwell on the past. No, not on this day, and not on any day. Certainly not on Rex Manning Day, although that's actually later this week and has nothing to do with wrestling. But it's still important. You should look it up. We must look forward and forge ahead to the future. WrestleMania signifies the unofficial end of the wrestling season, with the new season starting about 20 hours later on Monday Night Raw. And while they had to strive hard to remain their own entity, NXT seems to have followed suit because now they too are putting on a two-night takeover spectacular during WrestleMania week as well. And there's a lot to unpack with this NXT TakeOver, Stand and Deliver, as they're calling it, which I like. 
Uh, let's go ahead and start with them. Night one, which is happening this Wednesday, and I'm still not sure if it's going to be on USA or if it's on the Peacock Network or if it's on both. I know one night is on one thing and another night is on the other. It's very confusing. It's They're trying to get people to watch Peacock, but in case you don't watch Peacock, you could still watch this thing. I don't totally understand it. I just know I like saying Peacock, so I'm going to keep doing it. But night one is really interesting to me. There's a lot of stuff going on that I really enjoy. Night one, we've got Kushida versus Pete Dunne. We've got the six-man gauntlet match. We've got a triple threat tag team match. We've got Walter versus Tommaso Ciampa for the UK title. And Io Shirai versus Raquel Gonzalez. First up, let's take a look at Kushida versus Pete Dunne. This match almost has a feeling of what could have been to it. You know what I mean? Both of these guys, when they were brought into NXT, they came with a ton of hype. Kushida was a huge Japanese star, and Pete Dunne was dominating NXT UK and leading the charge to get that brand off the ground. Now, both of these guys seem totally lost in the shuffle. Both of them suffered losses in title matches at the last TakeOver show, Vengeance Day. Both are sliding down the card as the time goes on, and both are desperate for a win. I thought if ever there was going to be a chance to resurrect Kushida, it was in February against Johnny Gargano for the North American title. I said then that if they don't pull the trigger on him now, they're simply not going to do it. And for this match, for Kushida versus Pete Dunne, I'm going to have to take the advice of former me, of younger me, young, naive, February-living me, and say that Kushida didn't get the push then, he's not going to get the push now. I'm going to say Pete Dunne gets the win. I just feel like there's a little more hope for what they can do with Pete Dunne. For Kushida, I, I think for his own sake, he needs to find a new home. NXT has sort of been a bust, and it's really sad given, like I said, the amount of hype that he originally had when he came in. But it seems like the door is sort of shut on Pete Dunne, at least in my eye, or the door is shut on Kushida in my eyes. And for that reason, I'm going to say that the winner of this match is Pete Dunne. Moving on to the triple threat tag team match, we got to start by talking about MSK. I mean, these guys have been on absolute fire since coming into NXT. They're undefeated thus far, and it's clear that those in charge have all the faith in the world in this team, and with good reason. They're incredible. The question is, though, if we give them the titles right now, where do we go from here? I mean, this meteoric rise is great and all, but MSK is not your typical dominant tag team. They're young, they do all the flippy-dippy shit that drives Jim Cornette insane, and I don't think it's really going to hurt them not to win this match. In fact, I think it helps them if they not only don't win this match, but actually eat the loss in the triple threat. I think that would be very good for them. You've got Legato del Fantasma, who truly lives up to their name. They're a fantastic team. But really, the role of those guys is to support Santos Escobar. And there's nothing wrong with that. They are absolutely crucial for his gimmick, and I love his gimmick. But Legato del Fantasma hasn't had the push 
for a, a championship run right now, nor do I think they need it at all. I think they're fine without the belts. I think that team is not about being a championship team. That team is about being a pair of enforcers for Santos Escobar. Now, the grizzled young veterans, on the other hand, they need the tag team titles. I'm going to predict this match as if I'm actually booking it. I'm going to let my heart override my brain here, and I'm going to say this is what they're going to do, because this is what I would do. I'd have MSK take out Legado del Fantasma and be just looking great. They're on fire. They're hitting all their moves. It looks like we're setting up for them to get the big win. And then we get Grizzled Young Veterans to come in and get a quick, sneaky roll-up on MSK. And it's important that they do it on MSK to get the titles and not Legato del Fantasma. Legato del Fantasma should not be involved in the finish of this match, in my opinion. Because I think, eventually, you are going to have MSK get the titles off of Grizzled Young Vets. But I don't want it to happen right away. I want us to get some of that like underdog vibe that we got at the beginning of the Dusty Rhodes classic. Like at the beginning of the tournament, you're like these guys are coming in, they got some buzz, they got some hype, they did some vignettes on them, but we didn't know what to expect. I wouldn't have been shocked at all if they went out early in that tournament and they ended up going on and winning the whole thing. And it was great. But they're a team that is like built to be rooted for as underdogs like they're just made to be that underdog team so i say let's have the grizzled young vets use their veteran knowledge get that sneaky clean legal fair win over msk and then let them go do their own thing for a minute just for a minute not a long time but let msk have a short feud with someone that they can work really well in the ring with uh i personally would like it to be Brizango, but they're both faces at the time, so that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. And let's have the GYV pick up a couple title defenses, and then let's circle back and let's have these guys face each other again. Because the thing is, the reason why I want it to work out that way is if the Grizzled Young veterans pin Legato del Fantasma, MSK has every right to demand a title match right away. They still have never been pinned or submitted since joining NXT, and they hold a 1-0 record against Grizzled Young Veterans if Grizzled Young Veterans pin Legato del Fantasma. But if MSK takes the loss, they have to prove that they weren't a flash in the pan. They have to prove that they can come back, that they can rebuild from a loss. And they have to prove to everybody that they're not just going to be another sad story of wasted potential. Now, I wouldn't be totally shocked if they just give MSK the titles here and let them continue on their run, but I think a much more interesting route to getting MSK as champions is having them lose here and have to build themselves back up, have people discount them right away, maybe have them cut an interview or a promo with William Regal and saying, you know, we should get the titles for reasons X, Y, and Z, and have... William Regal simply say, look, guys, you know, I agree. I I think you're great. I think you're wonderful, and you absolutely deserve to be at the top. But you just lost to the guys who are now the champs. I'm not going to give you a title match right away again. Yeah, you won the Dusty Cup, and that's great, and that's why you were in this spot in the first place. But you had your chance, and you blew it, pal. Now you got to go prove to me that that you have earned another shot and get some wins under your belt. So 
that's the way I would go with it. I'm going to have G Grizzled Young Veterans get the win here, get the championship, and eventually they'll drop it to MSK. Again, I wouldn't be shocked if MSK wins, but I'm going with GYV. Up next, we've got the gauntlet match featuring Leon Ruff, Isaiah Swerve Scott, Bronson Reed, Cameron Grimes, Dexter Loomis, and L.A. Knight, formerly known as Eli Drake, with the winner getting to face Johnny Gargano in night two of Stand and Deliver for the North American Championship. And I'm excited for this match. I think a gauntlet match is always fun. There's always a million ways that it can go. However, here I think the story that we need to tell is the obvious story. And the obvious story is Dexter Loomis. Dexter Loomis has been intertwined with Johnny Gargano and the whole The Way group for quite a while now. And if there was ever a time for it to come to a head, WrestleMania week seems like a pretty damn good time. I think just by process of elimination, this is the way to go. You've got Leon Ruff and Isaiah Swerve Scott telling their own story, doing their own thing, and it's great. I want to see it continue, so neither of them, I don't think, have any reason to win this gauntlet match. I don't think Cameron Grimes or LA Knight versus Johnny Gargano is a particularly compelling match. Uh, I mean, Gargano is a funny heel, but he is certainly a heel. Cameron Grimes is a funny heel. And LA Knight is still really new to the scene. I don't know if people really know what to think about him. I don't know what to think about him yet. I didn't know him much as Eli Drake. I know he comes in with a lot of hype, and I've liked what I've seen so far, but it hasn't been a whole lot. And honestly, what I have seen, what I remember most is him losing to Bronson Reed. So if anything, I think Bronson Reed should get it over either of those guys, and Bronson Reed is my number two pick, uh, mainly because I think the size disparity between uh, Bronson Reed and Johnny Gargano lends itself to a lot of hilarious spots that can happen and I think it'd be a really fun match to watch. Uh, but really, I mean, if we don't get the payoff now for Dexter Loomis and Johnny Gargano, then what are we doing? It's time to complete this story. I think they did the right move by having LA Knight win the actual gauntlet match, uh, the battle royal to d- get the last spot in the gauntlet match. So Dexter Loomis, it's he doesn't have to have a super long match and get totally worn out, but he's still going to be one of the fresher faces at the end. So it makes total sense for him to win and win with enough left in the tank to then go on and beat Johnny Gargano tomorrow night or the following night, uh, night two of stand and deliver. And I'll get more into that match uh, when I talk about night two predictions. But for now, I'm going to say Dexter Loomis gets the, uh, gets the win in this gauntlet match. Up next, we've got Walter versus Tommaso Ciampa. And man, if NXT really wants to knock us on our asses, here is the chance to do it. Nobody, nobody thinks Tommaso Ciampa is going to win this match. Not because it's not plausible, not because he's not a big enough name to pull it off, but because of how very outspoken he is on social media about wanting to stay close to his family. 
It's why he supposedly scoffed at the notion of moving to Raw or SmackDown. He's told the world time and time again he's not looking to be a full-time traveling wrestler. His priorities lie elsewhere. They lie with his family. And if he doesn't want to relocate to Connecticut, he sure as hell isn't going to put an ocean of distance between him and his family now, right? I mean, we all assume that this is going to be a killer match that Walter ultimately wins. But there's just something odd, some weird feeling in the pit of my stomach that this new world of kayfabe that we live in is going to bite us in the ass at some point. I'm certain of that. It definitely will bite us in the ass. It's just a matter of when. Ciampa beating Walter for the UK title would be the ultimate middle finger to all of us internet marks who think we know everything. It would be shocking, but... It shouldn't be shocking unless you live on internet wrestling forums. There's no reason why Tommaso Ciampa shouldn't win this match. Why couldn't he be the UK champion? He absolutely could. But we all know, because we read the dirt sheets and we follow him on Twitter, we all know that there's no way Ciampa would become the UK champion and relocate and have to spend, you know, do a full-time gig uh, over in England when his family is over here in Florida, right? Well, probably. Walter probably is going to win. But if ever there was a time that they wanted to shove it in our faces that we don't know as much as we think we know, this is the match for it. I want to be wrong on this match because I am I want to be totally floored. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Walter is going to continue his run of dominance. And he is amazing. But like I said, if ever, oh, if there ever was a chance to just really make all of our jaws drop, this would be the moment. Finally, on night one, we get Io Shirai versus Raquel Gonzalez for the NXT Women's Championship. Uh, Io is another one who I can never seem to make an accurate prediction on. I feel like she's been due for a loss for a long time, and I keep predicting her to lose, but she just keeps on putting incredible performances on night after night and winning night after night. Once again, I'm going to predict that this is the end of her run, and once again, I'm probably going to be wrong. I'm making that pick partially because I'm a huge mark for Raquel Gonzalez and partially because I do feel like we've told as many stories with EO as we can right now. The women's division has so much going on with it. I think a fresh face at the top of the division would really help create some new opportunities for a lot of people. I think it's time to stir that pot a little bit. Like I said, I'm sure I'm wrong because I've been saying this for months and for months I continue to be proven the fool. But I'm going to stick with my my trend of betting against Io Shirai, which means you all probably should bet on her. And I'm going to say Raquel Gonzalez gets the win. But again, I have no confidence in that pick. So that's night one of Stand and Deliver. Moving on to night two, we start with the aforementioned North American title match between Johnny Gargano and I'm going to say Dexter Loomis, but in the words of The Rock, It doesn't matter who Johnny Gargano's challenger is, and that's because we're getting a new North American champion, whoever that may be. If NXT, the reason why, is because if NXT really dedicated that much time to have a battle royal and then a gauntlet match to name a number one contender on your biggest show of the year, only to have that dude go and lose his title opportunity at the end of all of it, What the hell are we doing? 
It seems like a giant waste of time. Why wouldn't they just have Regal come out and say, oh, and Dexter Loomis is the number one contender, or Loomis attacked Gargano, and that's the reason they have a match. I feel like going through all the pomp and circumstance of a battle royal and then a gauntlet match just to get to Johnny Gargano still holding it at the end of all of it just seems like a giant letdown and a giant buzzkill. Like, I don't, even if you're rooting for Johnny Gargano, is that really what you want to see? I don't know, maybe, but it's not what I want to see. So I'm going to say your winner is Dexter Loomis or whoever was it. Your winner is not Johnny Gargano. That's the answer. Who wins this match? Not Johnny Gargano. Uh, Sticking with the faction, uh, speaking of Johnny Gargano, Candice LeRae, Mrs. Johnny Gargano, and Indy Hartwell, better known as The Way, are going up against Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon, and they're taking them on for the NXT Women's Tag Team titles, brand new titles, uh, what, a month old, and we've already actually seen a title change happen on the same night as the title debuted. Uh... My worry here is if you play Hot Potato too much with this title in its infancy, you really risk turning it into just another European championship. And don't get me wrong, I love the European title, but the thing had 37 different title reigns and it was only around for five and a half years. I say let's pump the brakes, let's put some prestige on this belt before we go and put him on new shoulders. Plus, I think Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon are straight fire, and I adore them together. Their weirdness just works as a duo. They've got this whole Mad Max post-apocalyptic thing happening, and they just got a ton of attitude. I love them. I want to see them hold on to the title. I say the champs will stay champs here. Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon pick up the win. Moving on to the what I'm calling the HBK tribute match, Jordan Devlin and Santos Escobar are going to be fighting over the Cruiserweight Championship. I'm assuming this is going to go down exactly like WrestleMania 10 went down, with both belts being suspended above the ring, uh, like Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon did. If they don't do that, someone at WWE needs to call me and explain, because I have a lot of questions. Uh, I'm very excited. This match has a natural built-in story to it, and I love those kinds of matches. It's pretty hard to screw them up. I'm also a huge mark for Santos Escobar, and to be honest, I kind of forgot how good Jordan Devlin was. And then I went back before the before the WWE Network went extinct, and I watched uh, when he won the Cruiserweight title at Worlds Collide, and... I watched his match with Tyler Bate at NXT UK TakeOver Blackpool 2. That just rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? Now, I don't really watch a lot of NXT UK stuff unless I'm unless it's like personally suggested to me. I just don't have the time. I watch enough other wrestling and everything else. So I have very limited exposure to their programming in general. But holy shit, was that match incredible. Do yourselves a favor, listening audience. Once you've mentally recovered from the 97 hours of wrestling that's happening this week, take some time to go watch Jordan Devlin and Tyler Bate at NXT Takeover NXT UK Takeover Blackpool 2. Uh, it's an unbelievable match. It really shows off how good Jordan Devlin is. In regards to this match, I 
kind of am just going to play my hunch and say Santos Escobar wins. I'm saying it for two reasons. One, I'm sure Legado del Fantasma will get involved at some point, so I like his numbers advantage. And also, if you have Jordan Devlin, who's been defending his Cruiserweight title on NXT UK programming, defeat Santos Escobar, who has been defending his Cruiserweight title on good old NXT USA programming, you're kind of saying NXT UK is better. And I just don't think Triple H wants to send that message. It really, to me, is that simple. Plus, I think Santos is helping fill a void left by Andrade's departure. Uh, I love Mexican wrestling so much, and it kills me that WWE dropped the ball with Andrade. I'm hoping they don't do the same with Santos, so I hope they let him keep that title and continue to be the awesome, awesome heel that he is. I'm going to say Santos Escobar gets the win and becomes the undisputed, unlike myself, the undisputed uh, Cruiserweight champion. And up next is the NXT Championship match between Finn Balor and Karrion Cross. Similar story here to the uh, Jordan Devlin-Santos-Escobar match where Karrion Cross never lost his NXT title. He had to give it up because of injury. Uh, so both of these guys, this is interesting to me because both of these guys are incredibly over despite the fact that I could argue that both of them are heels. So I'm really curious how we're going to play this match out. Will someone play more of a traditional babyface character? Will we see a full-blown turn one way or the other for one of these guys or for both of them? There's a lot of ways this match can go. It's definitely interesting. I think that Karrion Cross needs the belt more than Finn Balor does at this moment in time. As a heel-leaning tweener, there's a lot of people who I think could have great matches with Karrion Cross right away. And Finn Balor has had a great run with the NXT Championship. He's had a very fruitful run, a lot of good matches. It's solidified him as a permanent main event player in NXT. There's no fear of him getting lost in the shuffle like he did on the quote-unquote main roster. It's fine if he takes this loss. He can afford to drop the belt here and tell some other stories. Plus, the bigger reason is we're not going to see Demon Finn again until he loses the strap. As long as Finn Balor is the champion, there is a 0% chance we see the return of Demon Finn. So let's make that happen. I love Demon Finn. It's my favorite entrance in all of wrestling. Even better than Karrion Cross is a very good entrance. So I say let him drop the belt. Let him come back hungry, maybe with some face paint on. But for now, he's got to drop the belt to Karrion Cross. And finally, for... Stand and Deliver Night 2, we have the unsanctioned match between Adam Cole and Kylo O'Reilly, and holy shit, is this going to tear the house down. There is no doubt in my mind that this is going to be the match of both nights. It should go on last. I don't care that it's not the NXT Championship. I can't see any way the NXT Championship match is better than this match with just all of the emotion and the storyline built into it. You think the other members of Undisputed Era are going to come in and get involved. To be honest, I kind of hope they don't. It seems like we're letting Roddy Strong do his own thing. Not sure what's going to happen with Bobby Fish when he comes back, but I just want to see these two tear the house down and just put on a great all-time five-star wrestling match 
by themselves. They don't need anything else. They don't need the bells and whistles and the interference and schmas finishes or screw jobs or any of that. They can just tell a great story with a clean win. I think you got to give Kyle O'Reilly this win, though. Adam Cole has done everything that he can do in NXT by getting wins. There's a lot more he can do in NXT, but I think it's mainly going to be by getting other people over. Not in a jobber sort of way. He's not going to go and lose every match now. In fact, far from it. I think he'll continue to stay on NXT and he'll continue to dominate. But when he loses, it's going to be very, very important. And I think this is going to be the first of those matches. The first guy that he really makes as a main event guy is going to be Kyle O'Reilly. And it's going to happen in this match. It's hard to ever bet against Adam Cole, but I think this is a moment that we just, you want to have a feel-good moment uh, for the end of what is essentially becoming your WrestleMania, and you got to let Kyle O'Reilly get the win there. So I think that's how Stand and Deliver is going to finish. I will not be predicting the Andre the Giant Battle Royal or the SmackDown Tag Team Championship match because both of these are happening on SmackDown this week ahead of WrestleMania. I don't know if they're trying to make SmackDown before WrestleMania be the new Raw after WrestleMania. It wouldn't shock me if they tried to stretch this out into another goddamn day, but it's really dumb to me. We've got like 10 hours of WrestleMania between the two days. We can't find 30 minutes between these two nights to put these matches on. Put them on the pre-show. I mean, come on, man. I love Battle Royals, and it kills me that the Battle Royal is getting cut from WrestleMania. It kills me that people like Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode, and Otis, and Chad Gable, and all these guys that have been putting in a lot of work and have had great, have had a great run, have really been major players in this pandemic era, this year of pandemic era, and they're not even going to get a real match at WrestleMania, because I don't count this as a real WrestleMania match. I don't care if WWE does or not. Uh, But because of that, I'm not going to predict it. I've got strong opinions on the way it should go. But because WWE has decided that you don't get it at WrestleMania, then I can't give it to you here. I'm sorry. I don't make the rules. Actually, I do make the rules, but I'm making this rule uh, and I'm sticking to it. So let's move on to the actual WrestleMania card. We're going to look at night one first. We're going to start with The Miz versus Bad Bunny. I was shocked to find out that Bad Bunny wasn't the biggest betting favorite on the WrestleMania card that actually went to The Fiend, and I'll discuss that when we get to night two. But when it comes to celebrities in WrestleMania matches, celebrities always win, unless it's a battle royal, which we know it's not going to be this year because they're not fucking doing the battle royal at WrestleMania, but we'll move on. <laughs> I'm a little bitter. Bad Bunny's going to win this, and it's fine. Um, I think we all thought this was going to be a tag match between Miz and Morrison and Bad Bunny and Damian Priest. But I guess they got enough enough faith in the bunny to carry a singles match. Uh, I expect a ton of shenanigans and hijinks. Um, but you know Bad ben- Bunny, one way or another, is going to win this match. And I think he should. And don't feel bad for The Miz, by the way. Like I saw people being like, oh, The Miz deserves so much more. Fuck that. 
and this is not me ripping on the Miz. This is a compliment to the Miz. I think it says something that the Miz can go from holding the WWE Championship like a month ago to eating a loss at WrestleMania to Bad Bunny, and he's not going to be any worse off for it. This is not going to hurt the Miz's stock in the slightest. He's one of the most versatile assets that the, that the WWE has. And as far as a TV personality to do things outside of WWE programming goes, The Miz is the best thing that WWE has. He's making money, having fun, he's all over the USA Network, and he's got bigger priorities in his life right now. And while I know us diehard fans kind of hate it, these celebrity appearances are effective. They get some new eyes on the product. They get people like my stepmom talking about it because she saw Bad Bunny on Saturday Night Live and she liked his song. So now she's curious about how he's involved in WrestleMania. And uh, and now she's going, huh, we've got the Peacock Network. Maybe I'll check that out. The only reason my stepmom is going to watch WrestleMania is for Bad Bunny. So that market exists. That's out there. I know it does firsthand. That is a good thing. Whether we like it or not, as hardcore wrestling fans, it is a good thing. And more importantly, it's getting mainstream media outlets like Entertainment Tonight and all that kind of stuff to talk about wrestling. That's free advertising for wrestling. That's a good thing. Nothing about this is bad, including the fact that Bad Bunny is going to win, which he will. But forget Bad Bunny and The Miz as far as something that you think shouldn't be on the show. The true match that should not be on this card at all is Braun Strowman versus Shane McMahon. This is so forced and so unbelievable, I just don't understand why it's happening at all. Time and children have mellowed out Shane McMahon way too much for this storyline to work. If this were 1999 and we still had young, 20-something, loudmouth Shane McMahon, I think that this story could have played brilliantly. But now it is just so illogical that it is completely unbelievable. Shane McMahon isn't a bully. He doesn't give off the vibes of being a bully, nor does he give off the vibes of someone who goes around looking to instigate fights against someone like Braun Strowman. None of this works on any level for me. Shane McMahon, at this stage in his career, with the role that he, and with who he is, he needs to be a babyface. Braun needs to fight someone over something more important than, oh, he's saying I'm dumb and that pisses me off. It's stupid. It's stupid. It's a waste of both of these guys' ability. I think Braun is better as a monster heel. I think Shane is better as a sympathetic babyface. And instead, we're getting we're getting garbage. Braun's going to win the match because the smaller bully cannot win this storyline. We've seen it time and time again, especially at WrestleMania. Big Show and Cody Rhodes essentially did this storyline in 2012. CM Punk and Undertaker did this storyline in 2003. They told the same kind of story, the same rules. Not the I'm not the I'm calling you dumb part of it, but the general vibe, the general gist of the characters. It was telling the exact same story and it was told way better. So why are we doing this now? I don't know. The big good guy has to triumph over the mean little asshole. It's going to be no different this time. Braun Strowman wins. I hope it's a fast match so we can just move on from it. 
Ugh, I hate that this is on the card. I absolutely hate it. Okay, on to slightly happier subjects at least. We've got next match, Sasha Banks defending her SmackDown Women's Championship against Bianca Belair. People were saying that this could have been the main event of night one had it been booked properly, and maybe it would have. I personally would not have really been excited for this match. I'm sure it's going to be a great match. Both of these women are great in the ring, and they do not shy away from big moments. They step up in big moments. But the truth is, I just don't care who wins or loses this match. Like, And I never thought I would, by the way. Which is why I said I was skeptical that it could ever headline the night in the first place. But I mean, really, who are we? Who am I rooting against here? I mean, now it's clear that I'm supposed to be rooting for Bianca Belair and against Sasha Banks, but I really don't think that's going to happen. I don't think most people are going to be rooting against Sasha Banks. They're going to pop and they're going to be happy when Bianca Belair wins, which she will. But this story had so much time we should have been doing everything to make Sasha Banks the entitled ungrateful for where she's at champion and Bianca Belair being that person that's like look you don't deserve this title because you don't appreciate it the way I appreciate it you forgot about the hard work that it takes to actually get here and now you just assume that you're gonna get all this well I'm working my ass off and you're sitting in neutral and that's why I'm gonna pass you and that's why I'm gonna beat you that's the story that should have been told Sasha Banks resting on her laurels Bianca Belair hungry and determined Sasha Banks underestimating Bianca Belair and paying the price for it Instead, I don't know what we're going to get. Like I said, I'm sure it's going to be a good match. But at the end of the day, I'm going to be cheering no matter who wins this match because they didn't do a good enough job of getting me to hate either of these women when they had three months to do so. So it's a little bit disappointing. I'm sure I'm going to enjoy the match and, and cheer when she wins, but it could have been so much more. This match could have been so much more. Storyline should have been so much more, I should say. Not the match. But Bianca Belair will win and we'll be happy. Uh, Up next is the match that I hope kicks off WrestleMania and could very well steal the night, and that's Cesaro versus Seth Rollins. And I like that they've given us some story with this match. It doesn't need a lot of story to be a good WrestleMania match with these two. But they've let it build for a few weeks. So now, on top of having these two guys that we know can just go in the ring, we've got some emotion behind it. And we've got something, we've got our hearts invested in what should be an absolute barn burner of a match. Both of these guys are at the very top of the best in the business right now, in my opinion, as far as in ring performances go, at least. This is Cesaro's first singles match at WrestleMania. And it, to me, it's got to be a celebration. This needs to be Cesaro's time to get over. Seth Rollins has already accomplished so much that this loss is not going to hurt him, nor will a win really help him. And that's the most important thing. It's not like oh, just like, oh, he can afford the loss. It's like it doesn't rise his stock at all if he wins either. But for Cesaro, this sort of seems like a career life or death moment, does it not? 
I mean, if Cesaro wins, we can finally actually believe that they are going to give him that big push that we've been waiting, at least for me, seven years for. Maybe they're finally going to move him into the main event scene and let us see what he can really do, really take the reins off and let this guy go. Let this guy be the absolute show stealer that we all know in our hearts he can be. But if he loses, oh man, it's sort of sort of like what I said with Kushida. It's like if they're not going to pull the trigger on him now in this moment, forget about it. It's never going to happen. Now, given what we know about Paul Heyman's faith in Cesaro and how high it is, I'm going to trust, I'm going to cross my fingers, I'm going to hold my breath, and I'm going to trust that they don't screw this up and Cesaro finally gets his WrestleMania moment that he deserves. And I think it'd be an amazing way to kick off the show. It would really get the crowd pumped and into it right from the start, give Cesaro this big win on WrestleMania, and let's see where he goes from here. Also on night one, we've got the Raw Tag Team titles. Uh, They got blessed with a spot on the card, unlike the SmackDown Tag Team titles. I'm not sure how that happened, but I'll take it. We've got the champions, the New Day, defending against AJ Styles and his bodyguard, Omos. I've given my thoughts on the New Day as a team many times before on this podcast, so I won't go too far into it, but I think they are just wonderful and I think they are another example of the guy or guys in this case making the title not the other way around the problem is with the new day with how many times they've won and dropped the titles beating the new day to become tag team champions doesn't really have the prestige that it probably should it should be a big deal to beat the new day and become the new tag team champions But the truth is, it really doesn't mean shit. Most of the teams who beat the New Day to become champions lost the belts less than three months later. Beating the New Day doesn't make you the way that it probably should. And in this case, as far as predicting this match goes, I think that really plays in the favor of AJ Styles and Omos to come away with the win. I really don't see those two sticking together as a tandem for too much longer whether they win or lose the match, but this could be a way to extend that life for a little while if you want to. And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't super curious to see how well almost performs in the ring. But even if they do get the win here, which I think they will, I expect them to not hold the title very long. I expect them to implode, most likely drop the belts back to the New Day because why the hell not? Uh, and that plus, given the fact that I have faces winning most of the night one matches, I'm going to say AJ and almost get the win here in a match that is, as far as historical significance is probably forgotten by money in the bank, definitely by SummerSlam, if not by money in the bank, but AJ Styles and almost get the win. And then finally capping night one, we've got Drew McIntyre versus Bobby Lashley for the WWE championship. You know, we've taken a couple strange turns on this road in the last few weeks, and suddenly this match doesn't seem very cut and dry at all, the way it seemed like it was going to be a couple weeks ago. The backstage scenes with Drew McIntyre lately don't really scream to me, this is our hero and the guy we stand behind and we should all be rooting for. Drew McIntyre was 
acting really like a dick in those locker room promos when he was shoving guys around and daring them to challenge him, calling people out, calling them cowards for not taking up Bobby Lashley on his title match offer to anyone who could take him out and saying, if I was you, if I was in your position, I'd be dying for a chance like this. It just came off as very like, I know everything and and you know nothing. And I don't know. I just, it rubbed me the wrong way. It didn't, I don't think it gave the desired effect that it was supposed to. Maybe it was. I don't know. But it made me like Drew McIntyre a little less. And I don't like that. Meanwhile, on the other side of this card, we've got Bobby Lashley, who kicks, well, MVP really did it, but they kicked out Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin from the Hurt Business. And then they bring in... Baron Corbin? How does this happen? How does Baron Corbin... How does this guy continue to just slide into these roles? Has he executed any of them well, honestly? Like, do we care about the King of the Ring now because Baron Corbin holds the crown? I don't. Do we care about Baron Corbin as an authority figure when he was Constable Corbin? I don't. Am I supposed to now suddenly care about him in the new Hurt business? Because I can tell you, I already don't. This is this is fucked from Jump Street. Baron Corbin, while he is a very safe worker, and I'm sure he's a tremendous human being, is so goddamn boring to watch, and I just can't do it anymore. I skip his matches, I skip his promos, and in the rare moments when I'm watching live and I can't skip over him, I'm reminded why I do so every chance that I get. I don't want him fired. I don't want him to not be able to support his family. But I need somebody to explain to me how this guy is constantly sniffing around the main event pitcher and guys like Dolph Ziggler and Chad Gable have been pretty much buried for the last four years. It's beyond me. Fortunately, like almost everything else in his career, Baron Corbin's role in this match should be fairly consequential, inconsequential. I liked Bobby's, Bobby Lashley's chances a lot more when it was Benjamin and Alexander in his corner versus Corbin. If anything, I think they might now be used to neutralize Baron Corbin and make it a true one-on-one match with Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley. If this happens, I think it definitely benefits Drew more than Bobby. And maybe I'm just being too short-sighted, but I really think this is our chance to see Drew win the title at WrestleMania in front of people the way it should have been done last year. Going back to the beginning of this podcast, like I said, it's finally like we're moving off of pause, we're pressing play, and getting on to our regularly scheduled programming with Drew McIntyre once again for the third time in a year becoming your WWE champion. Okay, so if you're not completely burned out of wrestling by Sunday night, we get night two of WrestleMania. (laughs) And this card to me is infinitely more interesting than night one. For starters, we've got Riddle versus Sheamus for the United States Championship. This match hasn't gotten much of a story or a buildup so far, but I think we're in store for a hell of a match. For as much as I dislike Matt Riddle's character and what I know of him as a person, he's not the best dude either, I fully admit that this guy can straight up work in the ring, and he is a great in-ring storyteller as well. I give him all the props in the world for that. 
But the same is true for Seamus. And what's always interesting to me in moments like this is when you've got someone like Seamus, who is a four-time former world heavyweight champion, and now he's going for a quote-unquote lower title. It's always strange to me. It always makes me very skeptical of their chances to win these kinds of matches. Um, And whether that's a justified assumption on my part or not, I don't know. But I want Sheamus to win this match for a plethora of reasons, but I've got a hard time going with Sheamus. I think they're going to keep the title on Riddle at least for a while longer and see where things go. But this is another match I really want to be wrong on. This I'm predicting this match 100% with my head and not with my heart. Up next for the Intercontinental title, we've got Big E versus Apollo Crews. These two have been going at it for a while, and the winner of this match to me, is very dependent on the question of, is this our blow-off match? Is this the last match we're going to see between these two, or do we think we can get a couple more matches out of it? Personally, I think this story has the potential to keep going, and I think the best way, if you want to keep this storyline going after WrestleMania, you got to have Apollo Crews win the title. Now, they're going all in on this whole Nigerian prince angle with Apollo Crews, and while I think it's a bit hokey, given that we know that he doesn't have an accent, and now all of a sudden he does, props to Apollo Crews. He's doing the best he can with it. He's making the best out of the situation. Uh, I think this is going to be his WrestleMania moment. I I think he's going to have a huge entrance, a really elaborate, over-the-top entrance. I hope he comes down like a knot. I don't know, fucking elephant or something, just something big, something huge. I don't know if that's viable or not. I don't know what the animal rules are uh, as far as all that goes, but I, I want him to have just this absolute huge, grandiose entrance, win the title, and it should be a clean one. No cheating, no outside interference. Let him pin Big E. Big E has been great with the Intercontinental Belt, and I certainly wouldn't hate to see him continue to roll with it. But I think there are bigger things on the horizon for Big E. And as good as 2020 was for Big E, 2021 is going to be even better. Big E is ready for the main event. Apollo Crews is ready and deserves his time with some gold around his waist to make all that happen. Let's put the belt on Apollo Crews right now. He wins and becomes your new Intercontinental Champion at WrestleMania. So like I said earlier, Cesaro and Rollins is definitely my prediction for the match of night one. And I think the match of night two, even with the main event that they have, it could easily, easily go to Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn. These two have faced each other so many times in the past, both under the WWE banner and on the independent scene for years before that. They're real-life best friends with incredible in-ring chemistry. You know they're just dying to steal the show at WrestleMania, and I really, really think that they will. And I don't care, to be honest, who wins this match. I don't care at all because I think the real winner of this match is the fans. But that being said, I have to predict it, right? I mean, those are the rules, again, that I made up. So from a storyline perspective... I don't think Sami Zayn should win any matches ever while he's doing this conspiracy theory angle. Um, At least no big matches. I think Sami Zayn getting a win at WrestleMania would actually hurt his character. I mean, how is it a conspiracy? How is everybody after you 
if you can go and pick up a singles win on night two of WrestleMania against someone as decorated as Kevin Owens. It doesn't make sense. He's got to lose, right? He's got to lose to keep, at least until the documentary drops, and that'll probably happen after WrestleMania, I would assume. So I say, let these guys tear the house down. Let Kevin Owens do his swanton off the pirate ship, which will happen, and kick Sammy's ass. That's what we all want to see. I think even Sami Zayn wants to see it. Your winner, Kevin Owens. Moving on to Randy Orton versus The Fiend, which is a match that I don't really I don't really know what to expect, to be honest. Uh, I think it's going to be an actual wrestling match, but it could be like the Firefly Funhouse match from last year, or it could be like their horrible WrestleMania match from 2017 where it's sort of both kind of like a cinematic and an in-person match. I don't know. What I do know is I am ready to close this chapter. Uh, and I think The Fiend has to come out on top. I've been saying for a while that I think Orton is going to end up joining The Fiend, and while I am not as confident in that now as I was four months ago, I still think it can happen, but it needs a, a Fiend win here is needed if that's going to happen. If Randy Orton wins, then forget what I said, they're never going to be a tandem. But if The Fiend picks up the victory here, I still think I got a chance at my long shot prediction coming through. Plus, this is his first match as Crispy Fiend, and I don't think they're going to have Crispy Fiend lose his first match, would they? I wouldn't. So for both my long shot prediction to come true and for just basic wrestling storytelling, I think it's it's got to be The Fiend here. Crispy Fiend for the win. Um... Also on night two, we've got the Raw women's title on the line as Asuka defends against Rhea Ripley. And except for a quick moment in July, Asuka has had this title for almost a year, and she's done almost nothing with it. And this isn't her fault, by the way. This is writing and creative direction for Raw. Asuka is not to blame at all. And I can say that because over on SmackDown, you had Bayley, have the title for over a year, and she had a ton of great matches and stories, so I know that they can do it. They're just not pulling the trigger for whatever reason, and it's really a shame since Asuka is so damn talented. But at least they're going to have her featured here on night two, so that's something. Unfortunately, I think she's being featured on night two to pass the torch to Rhea Ripley. Now, Rhea Ripley didn't win the Royal Rumble, and she's never even had a match on the main roster, Uh, unless you count Survivor Series. But here she is for the second straight year in a title match at WrestleMania. And that's not to say that she doesn't deserve it. She does. But again, I think it goes to show the very sloppy storytelling that is happening over on Raw. Like the women's match the night before, this is another one that I think really needed time to develop and build. Uh, I think you've got another match here starring two of the best females on the roster, and again, I don't care. Now, last year, you had four women's matches on the card, and it seems like they all had better stories leading up to it than this does. I'm worried, really worried, for a women's division that seems to still be struggling to find meaning and significance without Becky Lynch or Charlotte. I don't know how they're going to continue to make this division 
notable when you can't even get me to care about the title matches, let alone for a real division to thrive. You got to have undercard storylines that are worthwhile. Not only are we not getting those, we're not even getting great storylines at the top right now. It's it's a little dip in the great rise of women's wrestling. I feel like we're going through a very minor dip. It's not anything I'm really concerned about for the long-term success of women's wrestling, but for the short-term success, it's got me very worried. I think we're in a dark place for women's wrestling on WWE, on the main roster at least, and hopefully we can snap out of it pretty quick. And then finally, closing it up here an hour later, we have the triple threat match for the Universal title. And to borrow a line from Jesse Ventura, this is truly what the term main event was meant for. Daniel Bryan, Roman Reigns, and Edge. Fuck yeah. Now, while I have lamented a lot during this podcast about the lack of buildup or storyline in some of these matches, that cannot be said at all for this match. This has been a brilliantly told story up to this point, and I think this is a story that's actually going to continue for several more months after this. Along with Orton joining The Fiend, my other big long-term prediction that I'm hanging on to is that by the end of SummerSlam, Roman Reigns is going to be a babyface once again. The fact that this is a triple threat match, actually, is the perfect way to begin telling this story. And the beauty of it is, you can tell it almost no matter how this match ends. Now, ironically, the hardest way in my mind to get there is to have Roman Reigns win this match and retain the title. So I'm going to say that Roman Reigns loses the title here. And here's how I would do it. And I'll even be so bold as to say, here's how WrestleMania will do it. This is what's going to happen. Roll with me on this. If I want to turn Roman Reigns babyface by the summer, I have him dominate this match. I have him dominate this match the way he was dominating people before Kevin Owens, before when they were just feeding guys to him. Uh, and you know, like Jey Uso, like, okay, it's great, but he's not going to beat Roman Reigns. And fuck no, he doesn't beat Roman Reigns. I've got Roman Reigns just kicking ass, looking like a million bucks. I have him have his way with both guys, both the pure white meat baby face Daniel Bryan and our suddenly tweener Edge. Eventually... Brian and Edge realize that they need to work together and double-team Roman Reigns if they've got any shot at beating him. They spend a large portion of this match trying to neutralize Reigns, which finally happens. So then we get Daniel Bryan and Edge one-on-one, and Daniel Bryan gets the upper hand. He gets some better moves in, he finally wears Edge down, and he gets Edge in the LaBelle lock. The same LaBelle lock that Roman Reigns tapped to at Fastlane. And just like how the ref was knocked out and therefore didn't see Roman Reigns tap at Fastlane, Edge is going to tap at WrestleMania, but something's going to happen so the ref doesn't see it. I don't think the ref's going to be knocked out again. I think maybe Paul Heyman or Jey Uso distracts the ref. Something. Something happens. But while this is happening, while Edge is tapping to the, to the bell lock, Roman Reigns comes in and breaks up the submission. And personally, I'd have him do it with a steel chair exactly the way Edge did at Fastlane. That just is good storytelling to me. So now, Roman Reigns is going at it with Daniel Bryan as Edge is sort of out of the picture, recovering from the horrible submission that he just spent the last two minutes in. 
Brian and Roman Reigns are going at it. Roman Reigns takes control. He hits a Superman punch on Daniel Bryan, lines him up, and bam, hits him with the spear. And as soon as he pops up from delivering that spear, Edge comes out of nowhere, spears Roman Reigns, Reigns rolls toward the outside or the corner, and Edge pins Daniel Bryan to become the world champion. Edge is still kind of a tweener at the end of this match. We're not doing full-on babyface or heel turn here. So we're still going to get a good pop because, one, people are still cheering for Edge, and two, yay, Roman Reigns has been dethroned. Now, following that, that's how the night ends. No, No more weird shenanigans. It ends with Edge fireworks going off and Edge holding the belt. Moving forward, Roman Reigns now has a rightful claim as the number one contender because he was never defeated for his title. And Daniel Bryan has a claim to the to a title shot because he had Edge tapping in the middle of the ring. He got this shot because he made Roman Reigns tap and he deserved another shot. Why would he not deserve another shot after this? Again, he's getting screwed by things that are beyond his control. We spend the spring and summer making Edge a heel who won't give Roman Reigns a title shot for reasons A, B, C, D, and E, and beating Daniel Bryan in matches by doing shady shit. He's, he's, he's the ultimate opportunist. Um, we're getting that side of him back, and it builds through his rivalry, his springtime rivalry with Daniel Bryan. Eventually, Roman Reigns, and Roman Reigns is going to be doing his own thing, um, beating whoever doesn't matter but he's going to start facing baby faces he's going to or he's going to start facing heels and we're going to start to turn him because we're going to start to get people to say yeah Roman Reigns does deserve a title shot why isn't he getting that title shot why why isn't this happening and then eventually Edge is going to get get it over on Daniel Bryan he's going to main he's going to win that feud Daniel Bryan's got no problem doing that job and then by SummerSlam, we're going to get a heel edge versus a babyface Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship. And Rome, that's how Roman Reigns is going to get his title back. And people are going to cheer it, like for real cheer it, not cheer it ironically um, or cheer it because they're told they're supposed to. We're going to get a real natural reaction for Roman Reigns as a babyface and as the champion. If you're going to do it, which they've been trying to do since 2014, really, maybe 2015, if you're going to do it, that is the way to do it. I'm telling you, I do not pretend to be the smartest guy in the room, but I know a brilliant story when I see it, and this is a brilliant story. Tell me you wouldn't watch that match. Tell me you wouldn't watch that develop. It's going to happen, and the seeds start at WrestleMania. Edge gets the win by pinning Daniel Bryan, Roman Reigns not involved in the decision, but he loses his belt and Edge goes home as champion. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have made it this far, thank you so much for sticking with me on this super long WrestleMania-sized prediction episode of the Closet Champion podcast. Hit me up on Facebook and Twitter at Closet Champ. Let me know your thoughts. You know I love hearing from you guys. Until next time, I am your reigning rarely defending, highly disputed champion of wrestling podcasts, Mike Mueller, and I'm going to take the count out loss and get out of here with my belt. Good night, everybody.